0: Well, Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you here this morning on Christmas Eve. And I wanna say thank you to uh, Josh Sullins for that $3,000 check that will be coming pretty soon for the uh, <laughs> joy to the world. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you so much for, um, for everything that you do as a church and as a believer um, of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that you are here with us uh, this morning on Christmas Eve. And don't forget, as Britton mentioned to you <clears throat> a few minutes ago, we still have our Christmas Eve service tonight at five o'clock and uh, that will be Candlelight and Communion, you want to be here, it's one of our most well-attended services of the year, and so you want to be here for for that, but before we get there, I want you to turn uh, to the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm sure you've never heard a Christmas message on the book of Hebrews, can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, it's not a very uh, popular text, uh, if you will, on uh, Christmas, but hopefully by the end of uh, this morning you will learn to enjoy Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. The scriptures will be on the screen behind me as well, but I do want to encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. Well, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the famous poem by Clement Moore that begins this way. "'Twas the nights before Christmas "'when all through the... "'Not a creature was stirring, "'not even a... "'The stockings were all hung with chimney "'by the chimney with care "'in hopes that St. Nicholas "'would soon be there.'" How many of you read that on Christmas Eve? How many of you... Three of you. This, <laughs> this sermon just went downhill in a hurry. Well... Uh, you know that uh, poem that is so often read on Christmas Eve. We as a family read that on Christmas Eve, and then we follow that up with reading the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. But uh, this Christmas season, um, I have been uh, kind of stuck on the first line of that poem by Clement Moore. That first line in the poem is very simple. "Twas the night before Christmas, and that has just been stuck in my head this Christmas season, and, and it's led me to ask this question. What was Jesus doing the night before Christmas? What was he doing the night before Christmas? Many of us, we are uh, filled with anticipation about the gifts that are coming the next day on Christmas morning, and maybe some uh, families have a tradition of opening up their some Christmas uh, gifts on Christmas Eve, but but what was Jesus doing uh, before he was born? Do, do we know? Uh, we know the story of, of, G, uh, of Joseph and Mary on their journey to Bethlehem. We know about the story of the angels and the shepherds. We, we know the story about the wise men and their, their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what was Jesus doing on Christmas Eve? Well, I think that you will be surprised to know that the Bible actually gives us an answer to that question. What was Jesus doing? And it's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. And this is the Christmas story according to Jesus Christ. We know Luke's version, we know Matthew's version, but here we get the Christmas story from the lips of Jesus Christ, and this is what He was doing on the night before Christmas over 2,000 years ago. So would you please stand as we read God's Word this morning? Hebrews chapter 10... Verses 5-7, through seven. and it reads, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will Oh God, would you pray with me please? Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come before you today on this Christmas Eve and amidst all the hustle and bustle that we can slow down and be reminded of what the psalmist said, to be still and know that you are God. I pray as we look at your word, I pray that you would open our eyes to build wonderful things from your law, and I pray that when we leave this place, we would apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, you may have a seat. Thank you for standing this morning well. In our text this morning, uh, there are three things that that I want to show you that Jesus did on Christmas Eve, and here's number one, and you may want to write this down. The first thing that our text tells us that Jesus did on Christmas Eve was this. He spent time with His Father. Look at your text. It says, he spent time with his father. Look at verse number five. It says this, therefore, when he comes into the world, this is Jesus, he says. Now, stop there. Here in this text, Jesus and the father are having a conversation. Now let's just back up here for a second if jesus is having a conversation with his father before he comes into the world that must mean that jesus had already existed amen because if you don't exist you can't talk amen In order to talk, you must be in existence. Well, write this down about Jesus spending time with his father. Write this down. Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are not celebrating his beginning. Jesus has always existed. And so when we read the text in Hebrews ten five, what the author of Hebrews is speaking of, he's speaking of the pre-existence of Christ, meaning that Jesus has always existed. In other words, before Jesus was born and before he was placed in a manger, Jesus already was. Jesus has always existed as the second person of the Trinity. Even Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 58, he said these words that really blew uh, the religious leaders' minds. Jesus said this, before Abraham was, do you know what he said? I am. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has always existed. Before Jesus came in a physical body, Jesus already was. Well, if you don't believe me, go to Colossians chapter 1. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul tells us and shares with us the story of of who Christ really is. And he paints this beautiful picture of who Jesus really is. And look, look in verse number 15. And Paul says this, he says of Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, stop there for a second. Does anybody see that word firstborn? Can that be a little confusing? That can be a little confusing because when I say firstborn, what does that mean? That He was born, that He was created. Well, this is actually a poor translation of what Paul wants to communicate. Know this, Jesus has always been. He wasn't a created being. Jesus has always been from the beginning of time. We have some brothers and sisters, maybe in Christ, maybe not, who are known as Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody ever heard of them before, okay? Some of you have had conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ was the first created being. They believe that Jesus was created. But folks, that's not what the Scriptures teach us. When Paul talks about that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, it means he is preeminent, which means he's above all creation. He is more awesome than of all creation. He is the first, he's the beginning, and he is the end. He's the alpha and the omega, and Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. So before Jesus was born on Christmas, he already was. And Paul goes on to say in verse number 16 that this is what Jesus did before he came in the flesh. Verse 16, for by him Jesus... All things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So what does Paul teach us about Jesus and what he was doing before he came in the flesh? Jesus was creating the worlds. He created everything. Actually, Jesus was quite busy before he came in the flesh. Amen? He created all things. He created all things that we see today. All things that we experience, Jesus created them. And it also says he holds them together. This is what Jesus did. Before he comes in the flesh, Jesus was quite busy. If you go all the way to the very beginning of the Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before all things even come into existence. Look at what the Bible says, again, about God, the Son, Jesus. Verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's God the Father. That's the first person in the Trinity. Verse number 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God. Who's that? That's the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit. And then look at verse number 3, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And there we see in verse number three, we see God, the second person of the Trinity, God, the Son. We know Jesus as the Word of God. Because in John chapter one, in John chapter one, John picks up this this same theme from Genesis chapter one. John says this, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was with God. God, And he goes on to say that he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so what the Bible teaches us is this, Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. Jesus already was. Amen? Amen. Isn't that exciting news? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready to open some gifts tonight. Amen. Well. Before we open gifts, we come back to the truth, what says this, Jesus has always existed. He did not begin at Bethlehem. Because John goes on to write in John chapter 1 verse 14, he says this, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And so what is Jesus doing on the night before Christmas? Or well, according to our text in Hebrews chapter 10, according to our text, Jesus is spending time with his Father, and they've created, and they've held all things together, and he's spending his, his last moments with his Father before he goes on mission. I know several years ago— um, when Angela, and I, we had just been married maybe a year or so, and we had made a decision uh, to move from Texas to move to to Georgia to Atlanta to go work on staff at First Baptist Church Atlanta. And uh, the day before we left, we had we had my mom, my dad, brother, sister-in-law, and our niece. Um, we all gathered in Dallas so that we could say goodbye to our family. And uh, we were um, uh, standing there uh, just shedding tears, talking with one another, because we're about to leave our family, that's, that's a big deal. We, you know, for some of you, you know, for my girls, they don't understand this, you know, we existed prior to Georgia, right? <laughs> we existed in Texas, and, and we had great relationships in Texas, and, and my parents, they, they created, or they, they, they instilled with me this idea that I have a mission and through God's word, but, but I, we, I existed prior to here. And I remember that last moment I had with my family, and we're about to say goodbye. And the last person that, that I talked to in my family on that day was was my dad. And my dad and I, we kind of separated ourselves from from the house, and we walked out onto the uh, to the grass on where my brother lived, and we just began to have a conversation. It was me and my dad, and we were just talking. And my dad was just, I mean, we're shedding tears. Uh, he's sharing with me what he has instilled in me. And, and then he reminded me, he reminded me that, that God has given me a mission. He said, I'm proud of you. But he also said this, remember whose you are. He said, there's something unique about dads and their children. You see, dads, we give our children our name isn't that right? Dads? We give our children what? Our name. And so whenever we as children go somewhere, we represent our dads. Now, I know some of you at Christmas time, you may you may not like your dad. You may have a bad relationship with your dad. You may want to have nothing to do with that, and I fully understand that, but the reality is. You still have your dad's name because dads we pass something on to our children my dad said you remember whose you are and when I left my existence in Texas and I came to Georgia I was an exact representation of my father if you were to put a picture of me and my dad next to each other we would we would look pretty similar although I'm quite a bit taller than my dad <laughs> but we look alike my family Angela and the girls make fun of me because I do things a lot like my my dad right now, I'm a representation of my father and the last person that I spoke to spent time with before I went on mission was with my dad this is Jesus and the father do you get that visual and before Jesus, before Christmas, it's Jesus and his dad. And they're talking about what they've been doing and what they've done. And it's almost game time. So what was Jesus doing that night before Christmas? He's spending time with his dad. They're talking. They're sharing with one another. And then our text says this, there's something else that Jesus did before Christmas came. Number two is this, he prepared for his mission. Look again at verse number five. It says, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Jesus says, sacrifice an offering. You, God, you, Father, you haven't desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Look at that word prepared. It's the Greek word kartartizo, which means to put something back together that which has been broken. It means that, it means, and so what Jesus and the Father are talking about, uh, Jesus says, uh, God, Father, you have, you've prepared my body for this to put something back together, that which has been broken. Now when when God the Father and God the Son are having this conversation in heaven before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, before Jesus comes into the world, what are they discussing? What they're discussing is that prior to Jesus coming and prior to Jesus' death on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, what they're talking about is, listen, in the Old Testament there was what was called the sacrificial laws. Are you with me? It was a sacrificial system, which means this, that animals had to be slaughtered and blood had to be uh, shed so that sins would be forgiven. And if you know this from the Old Testament, every year, once a year, the day of atonement, there would be a high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies. You remember this? you go to the holy of holies and what did that high priest do he slit the throat of a spotless lamb and he sprinkled the blood on the atonement seat right and why did he do that for the forgiveness of the sins of the people right you remember that that's the old testament here's a question for you how many times did the high priest have to do that for the forgiveness of sins once a year which means that process had to be repeated over and over and over and over and over and over over again, which means that the shedding of an animal, it did not completely wash away the sins of the world. Amen? And so God the Father, God the Son is saying, listen, uh, Jesus is saying to the Father, I I see what you did, sacrifices and offering, all the animals that were slaughtered, but that's not what you desired. You want something that is fully, that that washes away all the sins of the world. And, and, And Jesus says to the Father, you've prepared me for this. You've prepared my body to put all things back together because the Old Testament law, it could not do that. And so God the Father and God the Son are having this conversation. Jesus is spending time with his Father, and then they're talking about what is it that we can do that can wash away the sins of this world? As I was reflecting on this passage, I I just kept hearing a song um, that that I grew up uh, singing in my church, and many of you know it, and it's, it's the song Nothing But the Blood. Anybody know that song? Nothing but the blood, and it tells the story as one, one single theme, and it, and it hammers it home, and it says this, that only the blood of Jesus can wash away sins, amen? And that song just hammers it home. And, and in that song, you, you, you sing the phrase, uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus, over and over and over again. And the first line in that song says, what can wash away my sin? And, and the response to that is, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the next line says, what can make me whole again? And the next line says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you had this call and response in nothing but the blood. And it's it's almost like I mean, it's, it's, it's like a cheerleader just cheering you on. Can we, sing, can we sing that song? Can we sing that song? Here we go. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now sing out that chorus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what God the Father and God the Son are saying to one another right before Christmas. See, God the Father and God the Son, they, before Jesus comes to, to Bethlehem, they're, they're spending time with one another. And Jesus is getting prepared for his mission. And here's the last thing that we see our text say that Jesus did before Christmas time, and it was this. He committed to do his Father's will. He committed to fully obey what God required. Look at verse number seven, and he says this. Jesus said, then behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And so what you see in heaven before Bethlehem, before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, you see God the Father, God the Son. They're sharing with one another. They're talking about the mission, and you see Jesus— Fully surrendering to God's plan for him on this earth. And this is the picture of incarnation. Jesus fully God. Jesus, fully man, who says, "I've come to do your will, O God, nobody else's will but yours and yours alone." Once you look back at verse number seven and see that word. Then The first word in verse number seven. This is an expression of time, and it's an important uh, time phrase. Because again, remind you, prior to Jesus coming, the sacrificial system was in place, and all the sacrifices had failed. None of the sacrifices could atone for the sins of the world. So as God the Father and as God the Son are talking to one another, Jesus tells the Father, I will come. I will do it. You've wanted a people to call your own. I will be the one who will sacrifice myself for the sins of the world. And it's almost as God and Jesus is saying, put me in. I want to be the one who fulfills your will to restore people back unto you. Some of you know this, many of you know this, um, that I am the uh, greatest basketball player that nobody has ever heard about. <laughs> um, I, I played uh, college basketball for one year, um, and uh, I was not good. Um, I'm still not good, and the older I become, I realize just how bad I really was. Um, I was not good, but n- my roommate in college, his name was Chris, which is like, awesome. and. Uh, and he and I were on the basketball team together. Uh, last year, he and I got, we, we met up and reminisced about it, and we just laughed about it because Chris and I, we, we were not good. And so we had, he and I had a specific place on the bench, the last two chairs, that's where we sat, And we were so bad, I'm not making this up, we were so bad that our uniforms did not match the rest of the team. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? They gave us the leftovers. And I'm talking about, this was in the day when shorts were really, really long. Oh, not the leftover shorts. They're 1980s leftover shorts. I'm not joking. And that's, that was us. And so we, we, we really said about ourselves that we were the towel waivers on the basketball team. Everybody needs a towel waiver to cheer everybody up, right? Because towel waivers don't play, all right? That was us. And so uh, there would be moments when our coach, Coach Van Auken, would yell at us to get into the game. And he would yell down the bench, Chris, get into the game. And our response never was, all right, let's go. Our response was, really? <laughs> you, you want to put us in the game? Because whenever I went into the game or my roommate went into the game, our team would start... Laughing and celebrating as would the rest of the, the, the crowd because we never got in the game. But whenever we got put into the game, coach did not put us into the game to save the game. He just felt sorry for us. When God looked at Jesus and said, you get into the game, he said, you put me in and I will do exactly what you say and I commit to do your will to the nth degree so that when I come to the cross at Calvary, you will hear me say, it is finished. So what did Jesus do on Christmas Eve? Before he came into Bethlehem, before he came in the flesh, he spent time with the Father. He prepared himself for the world's greatest rescue mission. And then he committed to do God's will to the nth degree. You may be here this morning and you may be saying, Well, Pastor, that's, you know, a big deal. What does this really matter? This is. I'm, You know, you're thinking about the presents that you bought, the presents you want to open, and all the things that come along with Christmas. And you're saying, what is the big deal of this? Does this really matter what Jesus did before he came to Bethlehem? Let me just share with you for the next few minutes, just give me a couple more minutes, um, and we may be done early this morning. (laughs) Don't hold your breath. (laughs) But let me just share with you why Jesus' coming is a big deal. It matters. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Meaning every man, every woman ever created in the past, currently and will be God has placed a seed of eternity in our hearts what does that mean it means this you and I long for eternity you and I were created to live forever somewhere but it ain't here you and I were created to live forever somewhere and the Bible gives us very clearly the two possible choices one is in heaven in the eternal presence of the almighty god or in a place the bible calls hell which is the eternal separation from the presence of the almighty god and god has placed the seed of eternity in our hearts Everybody knows this. Some suppress it and push it down. Read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. You read that, and Paul talks about how people have suppressed the truth. Many people in our day have suppressed the truth and do not think about eternal matters or how to get where they want to go eternally. But the Bible says that You will live forever somewhere. Well, we have a problem. Because when you go back to the book of Genesis, we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see that God created a perfect world. Amen? He created a perfect world. He said it was good. The sun, the moon, good. Stars, good. Plants, good. Trees, good. Animals, good. Fish good, birds good. But then he comes to mankind. And he says, it is very good. And he makes mankind, male and female, no other options. He created you in the image of himself. And he said it was very good. And life was good. And God placed Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place that is ever known to mankind. He said, you can go wherever you want, take care of the land, take care of the animals, but you don't eat of the one tree. And just like when a parent tells their child not to do one thing, what's that child do? That one thing. And Adam and Eve do the one thing that God said, don't. And what was good and what was perfect and what was beautiful and what was holy, because of their disobedience to God's law, sin came. And sin destroyed everything. The Bible says in Romans 5, it says, through one man, sin entered the world. Through Adam's sin and disobedience, all of us come under the curse of sin. Well, what does that mean? What that means is this, is that prior to sin entering the world, Adam and Eve and, and, and if, all of creation was in perfect union with the Heavenly Father. Everything was good, great communion, great fellowship. All was good, all was perfect, but sin entered. It shattered this this union between the Father because they disobeyed. The world began to fall apart. Adam and Eve began to experience Shame and disappointment and guilt and embarrassment, and so much so that prior to sin entering the world where they walked with God, after sin, they went and they hid themselves because they are afraid of a holy God. And God said, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? See, even in our sin, God takes the first step towards us. And they tell him. And Adam, as only a man and a husband could do, said, she did it. (laughs) And Eve, as only a human would do, say, no, the snake did it. And they just passed down the fault. Sin. And from that moment on, sin has wrecked havoc in our lives. Because of sin, relationships don't work. Because of sin, sickness has entered this world. And because of sin, death Has entered this world. All that was good, all that was meant to live forever prior to sin, all of that shattered once sin entered in this world. And the main thing that happened was this: our relationship with the Father was broken. You see, many of us in our world today, and you'll, people teach you this, want you to believe this, believe that. You know, the purpose of this life is to get everything you can on this side of eternity because, because this is as good as it's going to get. And so you need to have all things restored uh, financially, relationally. But listen, that's what the world says. But here's what God says. The number one problem between God and mankind is your relationship with him. It's sin. You have to deal with the sin problem. See, many of us want to deal with, the, deal with the fruit of the sin. We try to stop the fruit of the sin. You can't stop the fruit of the sin if you don't take care of the sin. And so, God and the Father and God, the Son, they begin to have these conversations saying, What can we do? What can we do to restore? And God says to his son, he says, son, I want you to go. And I want you to restore that which is broken. And I want you to give of your life. And I want you to point people back to me. And I want you to die the most brutal death known to mankind. And I want the world to see. And Jesus said, I'm your man. Because later on, when you read the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, Jesus said these words. He said this. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, when sin entered the world, here's what happened. It created a lost people. Lost, meaning you can't find your way around. Lost in relationship with the Heavenly Father. And Jesus says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. We live in a world today that if you call somebody lost, they get offended. As if it's a bad thing that you're lost. But can I tell you something? The Bible says when you come to realization that you are lost, you are in the right place at the right time. Because when the Bible says, when the Bible says that you are lost, what that means is that God's looking for you. He's looking for you so much that He dedicated an entire chapter in the book of John, John chapter 15, to things that are lost. John 15, a woman lost her famous coin. You remember that? The shepherd loses one of his 100 sheep. John 15, the story of the, son, of the father who lost his son, the prodigal son. And here's the point of that story, that if you're lost, the woman teaches us that, that she has found something precious. She's gonna do everything she can to find that coin. She turns over her house to find that coin. The shepherd loses one of his 100 sheep and he leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one who's lost one because that one had value And the father who loses his son, who, who left and took, all of the, took everything that the father gave him, left and used it and wasted it, and he ended up in pig slop. And it says as the father was on the porch every day looking for his son. And then the day the son starts walking back, here's what happened in John 15. The father sees the son walking, and you know what the father does? He doesn't call him a bad name. He doesn't say, how dare you? No, what happens is the father runs to the son. And he says, my son has come home. And in John 15, you get the story of just how much God loves the lost people. He loves you so much that he would send his son to come look like us, to be born like us, to live like us, to die a brutal death so that you can live and no longer be bound to sin. So does it matter what Jesus did before he came to Bethlehem? Yes, 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 yes. And at Christmas time, you're gonna go home here in a few minutes and unwrap some presents. Or husbands, wrap your wife's present here in a few minutes. (laughs) You're going to go home. You're going to eat. You're all going to come back to the Christmas Eve service. Amen? Amen. You're going to open presents. Tomorrow you're going to open presents. But let me tell you this. You will never experience Christmas until you first Open the gift of God's son. In his name is Jesus, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And we so look forward to you being born. We so look forward to hearing the angels burst through the sky and say, we've got great news of joy. Oh, Father, we long for that. I pray this morning that there's somebody here who has never opened your gift of salvation. I pray that today would be that day. And Father, I pray if somebody's in here who has not been convicted of the sin, the disobedience, oh, Holy Spirit, convict them. Bring them to a realization that they need somebody to save them and show them that that Savior's name is Jesus. Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never called on the name of Jesus for life, eternal life, abundant life, I pray today on Christmas Eve, 2023, that you would cry out to the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Save me. And let me experience a Christmas like I've never experienced before. Oh, Father. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the Savior of this world. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said,